Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using our ministry to impact lives. So if you have a story to share, please email us at impact at jfc.org. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, go to jfc.org and click on the Give tab so that we can keep providing messages just like this one to you every week. We're in our current series, Faith, where we're walking through what it looks like to trust God no matter the circumstances. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Jonathan and Rebecca Murley, and we're the Global Missions Pastors here at JFC. Our story of faith really is centered around leaving a successful corporate job and feeling called into ministry and the the journey uh, actually over about 25 years of going from the business world and into ministry and the process that that has led us through and and really continues to take us through a, a journey of faith. At an early age, I went on a mission trip when I was 16 years old. And that mission trip was a defining time in my life where I felt God speak to me and call me into a life that wasn't just an ordinary life. The, the process through that uh, has been a real remarkable move of, of God in our lives. So before Jonathan and I met one another, we were both um, at a university together doing missions type work, outreaches into the community. And we knew that for, for both of us, that was a commonality. Uh, to serve God with our lives is what we wanted to do. Um, and then we met, got married, and in looking at God, where do you want us uh, after married life? Um, we thought that we might go directly into that calling um, that we felt God had for us, which was missions and serving Him overseas. And that wasn't God's plan. Um, we took a big pause on what we thought might be the picture for our lives, but it was more of, God, what do you want us to do? And that started a faith journey for us to um, trust the Lord. And one night, I was actually working in Europe and I was just pondering my life. I was spending a lot of time away from my family and I said, I said, God, this, this isn't really what I want and, and, and expect. And God spoke very clearly to me that night and He said, Jonathan, I'm causing your heart to divorce from the company so that when I actually call you to leave, you'll leave. And that was a defining moment for me that gave me the faith to say, I think this is the right time for us to step away from the business, step away from the corporate world, and actually go into into ministry. Uh, It continues to be a journey of faith. We went from uh, financial success, uh, a lot of financial success, and and, and actually that's been, for me, that has been uh, an ongoing step of faith uh, about trusting God with our finances, that we have a good Father. We have a good Father that loves us. He is there for us. He will take care of us. And for me, that has actually been um, a, real, a real walk of trusting God with the financial aspect of, of our lives. You can trust Him because He is good. And He has called you. He has a plan and a purpose. and. You may not know what the answer looks like. You may not know the wins, the whys, or all of that. But you can trust that God knows the timing. He knows the season. He knows when you're ready. He knows what doors need to be opened. 
and He also knows what needs to be done in you to prepare you for that time. It took courage for us to step out, uh, and I didn't. I would love to say I was a great warrior and a great man of faith, and and I was able to step out knowing that God is is going to provide for us. But really, stepping out was an act of like, Lord, I'm still scared, but I trust you. I trust in your goodness, and I want to do what you have called me to do. I don't want to just live a normal life. We don't want to live a normal life. And that has been the, the journey of faith for us, is following God's voice and stepping out in faith, but knowing that we have a good, good Father who loves us and has a plan for us. And we want to, we want to fulfill that plan. We don't want to get to the end of our lives and go, I wish I would have done this. So we have, we have had the grace and the faith to step out and say, Lord, we trust you. And he has been faithful to us. Mm-hmm. Two, three weeks ago, was jogging. I live, um, closest big intersection is Lucent and 470, if you can think of that place right there. Real close to Highlands Ranch Golf Course. I'm about a mile from it, maybe not quite that. And uh, part of my route that I run, I go right by the golf course um, for a really important reason. Uh, I like to look at what I would rather be doing than running, so I run by there and encourage myself. (laughs) And I got right in front of the golf course and, um, you know, when I'm running, uh, generally I'm listening to podcasts. It's a great time for me to feed myself. But um, on that particular uh, morning, I just started out on a run, and I hadn't got it uh, keyed up yet of what I wanted. I didn't have my earphones in. And I, um, I got to the corner, and I just glanced over, and there was a young couple, a man and a woman, walking a dog. And I saw the woman look at the guy And almost it was just like in slow motion, the guy fell over. Boom. And she stood there for a second, and I stopped because I thought, did he trip? Did he fall? What happened? And she began to scream, help me. Without thinking about it, man, I just dashed across the street. It's one of the things I believe is that heaven has the opportunity to come to earth when the people of God will bring it into any situation. And I didn't know what God wanted to do, but I just knew I needed to help. So I ran across over there, and by the time I got across the street, the guy's having a grand mal seizure. He's just shaking really, really bad. His legs are thrashing, his arms. The woman is not just yelling, but she's screaming, blood-curdling, help me, help us. And I walked over, and I'm not a paramedic. I'm not a fireman. I'm not a policeman. I'm Pastor John. I don't even have a badge, to be honest with you. I need one. But I walked up, and the only thing I could think to do was just to pray for the guy. I actually, his legs were thrashing so bad, I tried to straddle them and bend down so I could hold him. And I just put my hand on him, and these are the only words I could get out of my mouth. Father. And I'm telling you, man, like a blanket of peace, the guy stopped shaking. He just stopped. I looked at the woman, and I just said, it's going to be okay. And she stopped. By that time, other people had gathered around. The ambulance comes fire department. It's the first time it ever happened to the guy, so they put him in and they took him. 
And I stood up and I just said to the policeman, hey, is it okay if I leave now? And he said, thanks for stopping. And I made my way out before anything else had to be said or done. I can't probably give you a better biblical definition of what faith is than that right there. Faith is not always the result that we think where if I go, the miraculous will happen. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's just us in that place where we represent God. But biblical faith is way different than the idea of I believe something versus if I have faith, I do something. Biblical faith moves. Biblical faith doesn't just say I believe. If you have biblical faith, you move towards something. It causes you to move. Let me give you a modern definition of the fact that we can believe something, but we don't always move on it. How many of you believe you should exercise more than you do right now? How many of you exercise more than you do right now? How many of you believe that you should eat better than you do right now? How many of you are eating better? How many of you believe in flossing your teeth? So I won't ask the next question on that one right there. We can believe things, but it doesn't always move us to action. Somewhere in America in 2017, we've confused belief and faith with each other. People all over the place say, I believe in God, and they think that's enough. Do you know that the Bible says the devil believes, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to heaven. Somewhere we've said, as long as I believe, if I mentally acquiesce to something, it's all okay. Real faith moves towards something. When Jonathan and Rebecca in the video were talking about the decision to move from the corporate world into vocational ministry. John talked about the reality of the financial situation. He did really well for himself. When we had talked about him becoming the missions pastor at JFC, I made the fatal mistake of saying to him, John, how much do you make? And he told me, the whole staff didn't make as much money as he made at the time he left ministry, or vocational practice. John said, man, it's scary for me to think about what it means to follow God, but even with the fear, I moved towards God. That's faith. Faith is not when you get it all finally together and you're so strong and it's just such a straight line and it all works out. Faith is going even when you don't know. Faith is trusting when you're not sure what's going to happen on the other side, but you heard God, so you move towards God. When you look back at faith, it seems like it's a straight line, but when you're going towards faith, trust me, bro, it is a crooked, bloody nose, messed up. God uses crooked sticks, us, to draw straight lines, faith. Because when you look back, it looks, wow, we really did that. But going into it, people are filled with fear and doubt and wonder. Will it work out? Faith's not quite as clean as it seems. It can be pretty messy. My message today, the idea of it is just to kind of give you three portraits of what the Bible teaches about faith. Um... Three pictures of how faith kind of works in people's lives. Three identifications of, uh, of faith. Uh, if you've got a pen or a pencil, or if you want to use the online notes, or if you just learn best by listening, however you get this, do it. I encourage you to write because I think when you write, you remember more. It's my personal opinion. 
So let me just give you quickly three portraits of faith. The first one just simply is this, faith in good times and hard times. It's easy to have faith in the good times. It's easy to say, I believe, I trust, I know, I go, when everything's working out right. It's a little different to have faith when stuff's not working the way you want it to go. It's harder to hold on and to believe and to say, I trust God, when you're stepping out and stuff is not working out like you want it to work out. Faith in good times and hard times. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just say a little setup here before I go to it. Um, Hebrews, most people think it was written by um, Paul, but there's also a good chance it could have been written by Barnabas. We're not quite sure because it never says. Whoever wrote it had a great understanding of Judaism because it refers to a lot of things from the temple worship system at the time. The biggest thing is the author's ability to connect Jesus to all of those things and to show that Jesus is the fullness of everything that was in the Old Testament. That's what I love about Hebrews. But then you come to chapter 11, and if you know the Bible, maybe you're here today and you don't, but if you do know the Bible... Hebrews chapter 11 has a nickname. It's called the Hall of Faith. And it talks about all the people from the Old Testament who by faith did really powerful things. And so most of what's taught on faith comes from Hebrews chapter 11, 1 to 35. And it's really powerful. It talks about things like um, what what, uh, Abraham did with Isaac. By faith, he was willing to sacrifice his own son Isaac, knowing that that was God's promise to him. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, it goes through all of the characters of the Bible and how they did what they did by faith. But then at verse 35, man, the first part of 35 keeps going with the rah-rah of faith. But then all of a sudden, whoever the author of this book is turns it all around and then goes to the wah-wah of faith. The first 35 and a half verses are all the things that faith does that are powerful And then the rest of the chapter deals with people who also had faith, but it didn't work out the way they thought it was going to. The first half are all the people who subdued kingdoms, routed armies, chased back the enemy, obtained promises, (laughs) lived a life that was miraculous. And then the second half are the same kind of people who love God, who feared him, and who lived their lives for him, but went through really difficult things. Some of it, even their own deaths. It's really interesting because in verse 39, here's the author's conclusion. All of these people, the ones who did good and the ones who suffered loss, all of them were people of faith. I love that. What I like about it more than anything else, if you ever just said, hey, Man, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you think it's true? Why isn't that just some book that somebody wrote to control us or to promote religion? Or, or why, why, what, what makes you think it's just so authentic? Beyond things I could prove you in authorship and in why we receive it as a, a, the, the word of God, here's what I would say to you. Any book that puts both the good and the bad side by side saying that if you serve God, sometimes it goes good and sometimes it goes bad is not trying to sell you anything, man. It's trying to reveal the truth to you. Just real quick, I want to show you verse 35 in Hebrews. The first part of it, 1 to 35 and a half, is all the rah-rah. From 35, I think it's to 40. (laughs) It's the wah-wah. 35 keeps on that first part where everything's going good. Women receive back their dead, raised to life again 
by faith. And then all of a sudden it just changes. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Then it goes into all the things that it cost them to hold on to their faith. The reason that I like this picture of faith and the reason that I point it out to you is so many times when faith is taught, it's always taught you just need more faith, strong faith, right faith. Faith's going to get you stuff. Faith's going to get you through. Faith's the thing that makes everything work out. And sometimes you can have a lot of faith and stuff doesn't go perfectly in life. And the Bible clearly points it out. I've tried to teach this over the years, not as a downer, but more as a reality. So if all we teach people is that if you have enough faith, everything's going to work out. If that's what we teach from the pulpit, here's the problem. When people go out in the real world and it doesn't work that way, they think God let them down. And what a shame that is. Because if we teach all of the gospel, very many times it really does work out well, but sometimes it doesn't work out so well. But you still have faith. Faith is not a force field that keeps bad things away. Faith is not a force field that keeps bad things away. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, let me pastor you for just a second. So, whoever the author of this book is, whether it's Paul or Barnabas... In fact, there's even thought it could be a guy named Apollos that you might read about in the New Testament. Um, whoever authored this book, when it was written 2,000 years ago, it was written as a long letter to a group of Jewish believers. We, in modern times, have taken it and divided it into chapters and verses so that when we teach, we can tell somebody, okay, go to chapter 11, verse 35, and people can find it easy. The problem with that is, if you only read a few verses or a chapter at a time, you don't get the full meaning of what's being taught from the whole letter. Does that make sense? So like in this case right here, he's teaching about faith, but he wasn't done teaching at the end of chapter 11. He keeps writing his letter right on into chapter 12. And so I'm trying to teach you that chapter 11 has people who did great things by faith and people who suffered for their faith. But then he brings it right into and concludes his thought into Chapter 12. So chapter 12 says this. The very first word is therefore. Therefore is always a bridge word. Whatever, whenever, whenever in the Bible you read the words therefore, go back and read the preceding passage because it's a connecting word. So we just heard about faith does good things and sometimes you suffer for your faith. And so he just brings this concluding thought. Therefore, since it's good and sometimes people suffer, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? The people who did really awesome things and the people who gave their lives for their faith. That cloud of witnesses surrounds us now in heaven. And they are watching us and pulling for us. And when you suffer, they're cheering you on. And when you do good, they're like, way to go. But this great cloud of witnesses, I happen to think this. Even believers in our family that have died before us might make up that great cloud of witnesses. <laughs> that are clapping and cheering. You can do it, man. Don't let go of your faith. And I think this is really teaching us, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and then this part, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. I mean, he's just so clear to us. Faith is not a force field that keeps stuff from happening to us. You can have faith and stuff can be good, it can be bad, but bottom line, man, use your faith to keep moving towards God no matter what you do. Never stop. Don't let stuff stop you. 
If you were here last weekend, you heard my friend Dan Bauman teach. Did you like that? What a miracle that guy is. That's a true miracle. Is there a guy you know of that more stuff has happened to a person? He's my age, and he's lived like five lives. Imprisoned in Iran. Let me say it again because people don't seem to, like, imprisoned in Iran. You don't get out of Iran. You die in Iran. The guy gets imprisoned in Iran, and God miraculously sets him free. How did he get imprisoned? He's hiking in there trying to tell people about Jesus. Last year, he's in Hawaii, and he falls on a trail, 30 feet, hits his head, bleeds out, should have been dead, in a coma, somehow, somehow, He's standing in front of us a few months later. Should be dead. And testifying about his story. I had lunch with him on Thursday. I said, how was the weekend, man? Did you enjoy yourself? We made him preach one, two, three, four, five times while he was here. And it's his first time to preach since the accident. He said, you really wore me out. I said, good. I just sat with him at a restaurant. And just looked at my friend, and I was so grateful to be sitting there with him. And I just asked him this question. I said, Dan, I'm going to teach on faith this weekend, and your message really, um, it inspires me. Every time you talk, it just inspires me of how you just keep walking in faith, regardless of what goes on in your life. Good, bad, you just never, you just keep going. I said, I have a question for you, though. I said, do you think Jesus ever gets excited about your faith? I said, we always think of Jesus, you know, he's one-third of the Trinity, and we could picture him on earth, but once he's in heaven, does Jesus, is he just stoic in a robe in heaven? The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, make a statement about what Jesus, where, what, how he's positioned in heaven. Here's what the Bible says. He's seated at the what? You guys are biblical, knowledgeable people. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what it just gives us indication is that the position of honor was given to Jesus because of what he did for us. He gave his life for us. And therefore, God raised him from the dead, exalted him, and put him in the highest position right next to him in heaven. So Jesus is seated, the Bible says. But as I was studying for this message, I found this really unique scripture, and I got thinking about faith. And when our faith, let me say it this way. When everything in your life is really good and you worship God, that kind of worship can come easy from your heart. It's like, man, you got money in the bank and your wife loves you and the kids are all making good grades and the car and you got here and everything's good and so the music, it's it's easy to praise God. But when you get a report from a doctor or you lose your job or your spouse betrays you, Or your kids go the opposite direction. Or you face death. When you have to go to that same church and the music begins and you're compelled at that time to worship God, yes or no, that worship is a little more difficult to give. Do you agree? It's a little more precious. I just think... um, I think that God respects all worship, and he loves all worship, and it means, every, it means a great deal to him. But I think he looks at both of them and says, one comes really easy, and it's wonderful, but one's a sacrifice of praise, and it's got a special place in my heart. 
And I've never been able to prove that other than I found this really cool scripture. So I told my friend Dan, I said, Dan, um, you ever think that Jesus gets excited about our faith? And he said, I have no idea. And I said, listen this weekend, wherever you're traveling to, because I think Jesus is really excited about what you're doing in your life. And I found this really unique scripture. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Jesus is seated where? In the book of Acts, the first martyr of the church was named Stephen. Um, Stephen is preaching the gospel to the same people who crucified Christ, and they hate him for it. And so they pick up rocks, and guess who's encouraging them to throw the rocks? Well, he's not Paul yet. His name is Saul at this time. He holds their coats so they can throw it a little faster. But he's yelling, go ahead, cast the first stone. And dude, they pick up the stones and they begin to throw and they are hitting the guy and their intention is to kill him. And while they're hitting him with the stones, he's trying to preach to them the love of Jesus. And right before he dies, the Bible says he has a vision and he looks up into heaven and let me read it to you. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven saw the glory of God, and saw Jesus. We're going to do this together. Saw Jesus. But the Bible says Jesus is seated. But here, Stephen sees him. The first martyr, the, the first one willing to hold on to his faith regardless of the cost since Jesus has come. And Jesus is standing. And I just want to give you a picture. What do you think Jesus is standing for? I think he's telling the Father, look at this, it worked. He's the first of many who are going to hold on to something so precious to them that regardless of the cost, they're moving towards us. They love us. They're committed. They're not just fans, but they're followers, Father. Look. And I think Jesus is excited right here. And sometimes we read the Bible so sanitized and we don't see any emotion in it. And I think Jesus is like right in his position next to the Father going, go! A few more steps and you're here, baby. It's all going to be okay. He cheers for us. The Bible says he's our intermediary and he pulls for us and he prays for us and he's with us. And so many times, here's what the devil wants. He wants to cut off your sense of heaven and what God is doing on your behalf and only let you look at what's going on right here that seems like it's going so backwards. And God wants you to get a picture by faith. He's pulling for you. He's cheering for you. Keep moving towards him. Never stop. Extra precious to God is when we hold on to our faith in desperate times. Let me give you the second one real quick. So there's faith in good times and hard times. How about faith that sometimes wavers? I won't ask you. I won't put you on the spot. Watch how I'll do this. John Leach, has your faith ever wavered today while you're standing up here preaching? It's amazing how I can be saying one thing and my mind can have a, I'm sitting up here right now and here's my, this isn't working. No one's hearing this. Faith is, <laughs> faith is not this perfect in a box little, once you get it, if you could just get mature enough and you get enough faith, everything will, faith is even when we doubt and we don't know, we're still moving towards God. We just get up and go anyway. <laughs> we'll get out of bed tomorrow morning again yes. and we'll do it all again. Amen. Faith sometimes wavers. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Um, maybe one of the most uh, truthful and honest responses to the question of faith is found in this story. It's a dad with a son who's dealing with demonic issues. This kid is under incredible oppression, possession. Say whatever you want to say about it. This kid is being influenced demonically. And here's the influence. This demon has a spirit of suicide on this kid. This kid tries to throw himself in the fire. And then when he gets uh, up, up and better from that, then he tries to drown himself in the water. Back and forth, this father's concern is that his son is going to kill himself eventually. And one of these days, it'll work. Now, I just want you as a parent to picture for a moment, you have a kid that's been on suicide and nothing is working. You've tried everything and nothing is working. But you hear about this guy named Jesus that if you can just get by him, good things are happening. So the father grabs his son as a last-ditch effort, makes his way to Jesus, and just tells him very quickly once he gets there, if you can help us. If. I mean, he makes the effort to get there, but then gives that right faith state. If. Jesus goes, if? Come on, man, you're here. And then a crowd starts to gather really fast because they know Jesus is going to do something remarkable. And Jesus is like, it's not a dog and pony show. So he's going to do it real fast. And he just tells the father, Listen, have faith right now. Believe. Move towards this. And the guy makes the most honest statement when it comes to faith. He goes, God, I believe. But help where I don't believe. And the greatest part of the story is that Jesus didn't go, well, unfortunately, because you don't have enough faith and you wavered, your son is going to have to continue to deal with this demonic issue right here. Sorry. Jesus, in spite of the man's wavering, lays his hand on the kid and heals him right there. So the guy goes, I believe, but help where I don't believe. Can one person hold two inconsistent statements like that? I believe, but sometimes I don't believe. Can you? Let me come over here to this side. Can you? Because I do. Not do I believe in God, but do I believe it's going to work out? This I don't. Sometimes all I do is just come to Jesus and go, I believe, but man, I'm struggling. And God is still merciful to us, so much so that he heals. Amen. Let me just do this real quick. Hey, I asked this question. This is not for my benefit, but it's to get you in a right mode of thinking. So it's not for me. It's for you. So just grace me right now when I ask the question, am I your pastor? Am I your pastor? Yes. Then let me pastor you. This is important because I'm going to teach you something that's not taught. People who are super strong in faith, that use faith as like the end-all, be-all to get all the stuff they want from God, have one verse that they camp on. But they've really jacked that verse up. And they teach it in a way it's not meant. So I'm going to read the verse to you and then I'm going to teach what it actually means. Uh, this is from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 6. And people that are big into faith, this is their verse. When you ask, here, read it with me. You must believe. And when we read it, we all talk. Words come out of our mouth. It's okay. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And then it goes on to say, don't let that person think they'll get anything from God. So people that teach faith, here's what they teach. If you ask, you can't have any doubt in your head because if you have doubt, you'll never get what you're asking God for. You ever heard that? 
Man, that is such a penalizing verse. That is a penalizing verse. Because if I just asked you, can you hold two inconsistent statements, I believe, and yet help my unbelief, then you'll never get anything from God if that statement means you can't have any doubt. But you've got to read context. So here's the context of that verse. Here's James 1, 5 through 7, instead of just verse 6. If any of you lacks what? So the context is wisdom. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Look at me real quick. The context is faith, and here's what that verse means. If you ask God for wisdom and God gives you wisdom, don't doubt what God said. Don't go and ask somebody for their opinion about it. Don't sit there and debate it. If God said it, move on it. Otherwise, you'll be a person double-minded. Tossed back and forth. But people take that to mean any issue. And it's only in the context of wisdom. From this we teach people, if you ever doubt, you'll not get what you receive. The truth of the matter is, some of the greatest people in the Bible, people that walked with Jesus on a daily basis for three years and saw all of the miracles. Here's just a thought. If you walked with Jesus for three years and saw the miracles that he did and he even let you participate and do some of them, don't you think you'd be forever without excuse for having doubt? I mean, how? Here's a great story. My staff, um, my staff is always like, Pastor, you, you're reading half the Bible every time you teach. And I'm like, that's what preachers do, just read the Bible. So it's just an answer to them that I'm using you to get across. Um, it's a long thing I'll read to you real quick, but let me just set it up. Peter, one of the disciples... After the death of Christ and the resurrection, Peter is preaching Jesus and people, Jews in particular, are being converted to being believers in Jesus. And he's having great success with this, but the same people who kill Christ are angry about it because as quick as he's gaining followers, they're losing. They're losing their authority, they're losing their power, they're losing their voice, and they are not going to stand for it. And so they conspire with King Herod, who was the king at the time, in order to do something about this group of upstarts. And so they begin to kill the followers of Jesus. And they arrest Peter. And Peter's about to walk the Green Mile, man. He is a dead man walking. They have him in prison, and they're going to put him to death. And a group of believers who knew Jesus begin to pray that God would do something miraculous to set Peter free. Now, what I want you to see is what God does, but I want you to see their response to it, and you decide what their faith was like, okay? So let's just read the story real quick. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword when he saw that this met with approval amongst the Jews, the leading authorities who killed Jesus. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread of the Passover. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers each. And they're under death threat. If he escapes, it's your life for his. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial, a mock trial. After the Passover, he's going to have him killed. 
So Peter was kept in prison, but look at this. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So they're meeting, they're having prayer meetings, nighttime meetings, daytime meetings. They're praying, they're praying, God, do something great or Peter's going to be killed. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, uh, was really happening to him. He thinks he's dreaming. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guard. It must have been like a cloak of invisibility as they walked by all of these people. They passed by the first and second guards came to the iron gate leading to the city. Look at this. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself. He kind of comes out of it and realizes, hey, this isn't a vision or a dream. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Powerful story at that point, yes? Really powerful. But watch this. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, where everybody's been praying, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance of the door, and a servant named Rhoda came to the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door, left him in the street, and exclaims to all the people praying, Peter is at the door. Here's their big faith statement. You're out of your mind. You know what? I love this story. Why aren't you getting what I'm saying right now? <laughs> this group of believers who followed Jesus every day for three years has gathered to pray, and they've seen the miraculous. And when it finally happens for them, their response was not like, yes, indeed. Our faith worked. Our faith worked. It was probably my prayer. Yeah, <laughs> Here's their response. You're crazy. Yeah. And they told her when she kept insisting that it was so... Here's their conclusion. It must be his angel or his spirit. In other words, here's what they're thinking. He's dead, but he's come to say goodbye to us on his way to heaven. Like, hey, thanks for praying for me. I appreciate your intentions. It didn't work, of course, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to heaven. Here's all these people that are supposed to be so strong in their faith, so strong that they believed enough to be praying, but when they get the answer, they can't even see it as real. Sometimes faith is just not... Sometimes faith wavers. I'll just give you the last one because I'm, I'm taking more time than I want to. I hope it was worth it for you, though. Uh, faith, faith sometimes has to wait patiently. See, I realize we live um, in very fast food times. We can get outpatient surgery, microwave popcorn, Every bit of knowledge and information is seconds away at your fingertips on your phone, your iPad, your computer. We live in, we can get stuff so fast, yes or no? But the one thing that hasn't ever sped up is that God feels no pressure whatsoever to move faster because it's 2017 than he did in 17. Here's the great thing about God. We wait on him, he doesn't wait on us. Because he's God. 
And sometimes when he says something or does something, his intention is to fulfill it, but in the time that he has in mind and not in the one that you have in mind. I'll tell you a quick story. Chris and I were probably about two years into our first full-time position in ministry, and uh, it was not going well. Nobody cared. Nobody cared what we had to say. We were in Florida. Um, for my wife, it was culturally so completely different than Colorado. Um, every day I would come home, and she would put on her best act for me that everything was okay, but I could tell she had been crying. It got to the point where every day, man, my wife would cry. And I would say to her, what's wrong? And she would just say, John, people, they don't like me. Now, look, you cannot like me, but if you don't like her, something's wrong with you now. <laughs> I thought I had failed at ministry. I was going to quit and get out of it. We were still young enough to go a different direction. We talked about maybe what we should do. How could we have missed God so much? How could we have ever thought we were called? I was trying to figure out how to get back to Colorado and what I could do for a living, maybe go back to school or what it would be. But we were convinced, man, we were just not called. It was not what God had. It was not what God was doing. We had missed God. We were so beaten down and so dejected. We went to bed one night, and um, maybe TMI right here. Uh, when we sleep, um, we both face each other on our sides. And we went to bed, and we had just been beat up and beat down and so discouraged for so long. I, I, I didn't have any faith. The faith that I had had been wrung out of me by all the stuff that was happening that made me feel like I had failed. Failed my family. Failed the people that had believed in us. And we went to bed that night, and I don't know, somewhere early in the morning, twilight time. You know, it's not quite light, but it's not quite dark. And you can sort of make things out in the room, but it's still shadowy. Do you know what I'm talking about? That time. I wasn't awake, but I wasn't asleep. And Jesus came to talk to me. I never saw him. Like that girl recognized Peter's voice, he stood next to me and he just talked to me, and I knew it was Jesus, man. And Jesus began to tell me how proud he was of me. That he had called me. Guy, it was just so encouraging to me. But then he does this remarkable thing. He shows me a picture of my future. It was several years later. It was twofold. One of it was a church. And there were thousands of people. Now, from where I was to that, I'm like, whatever. The other part of it, here's the interesting thing. The other part of it has still not come to pass yet. That word is almost 30 years ago. 30 years. Part of it, God just in time did what he was going to do, but part of it, I don't know. Part of it, I think, no matter what, God, I'm going to keep walking towards you. I believe it to be true. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I don't know how you did this either. 
So I'll just keep trusting and walking in you. But here's the greatest thing that I've learned sometimes. Faith really shows that it's faith when it just patiently keeps saying, God, I don't believe in you. I believe you. It's not just belief that I believe it's true. It's God, I believe it, so I move towards it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe you, and I'm just going to keep moving towards this thing right here. I don't know how God will do it. You know, ultimately, here's what I know. My destiny is to train pastors. That's what I'll do, man. It may not be a pastor here all the time. I may not always be your pastor. I hope it's several more years, though, because I love what I'm doing. But at some point, at some point, I want a ministry school where I train people. That's my destiny. I don't know how God will do that. I give up a long time ago trying to make stuff happen. All I do is hold on to what God said and keep moving towards him through the years. Whether it happens here or whether by faith I just held on to it and I end up there, it doesn't matter. I believe God. That's how it works. So, Lord, God, that very issue on believing in God versus believing God. For so many people today, it's just easy to say, yeah, I believe in God. Just like we believe we should eat better, we should take care of ourselves better, we should save, whatever. We believe a lot of things, but we're not moved to action on it. It's only when we're moved to action that it's faith. So I do believe in you, but God, I believe you, period. If you said it, I move towards it. I walk towards it in faith. God, help us today. Help us to be people of faith. Not people who conjure up the idea that if I just had more faith, more faith, more faith. Let us realize the more we move towards you, that's actually all the faith that we need. Just move towards what God said. And if you don't know, then move towards him. God, just help us with this. Father, I thank you just for being faithful to us right now. I pray for gifts of faith. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.